All right, so let's get into uh, the message this morning. So we are in the Gospel of Mark. So it's the second book of the New Testament. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the shortest of all four Gospels. It's only 16 chapters long. And so let's start out, though, as we normally do by reading. And we're going to read the first eight verses of this chapter and then get into the remainder of the message. So let's, uh, let's read. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Father, what wonderful news this is, Lord, even as we are reminded, perhaps if we've heard before, we've responded to the gospel Even so, we are encouraged, we are reminded, Lord, of your love for us and how it is that you demonstrated this love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, this is a preparation, Lord, that uh, was foretold long ago of what John the Baptist would do for the people in that day and even today, Lord, that we would be prepared for Jesus Christ. And so I ask, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, that this good news would not fall on deaf ears, Lord, that uh, our hearts would be ready to receive uh, the seed that is the Word of God, as you desire that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would be humble and uh, we would acknowledge you as righteous, holy, good, and desirous of our repentance and our reception of your grace. May it all be according to your spirit, Father, and uh, lead us in all truth, Father. We, We thank you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, this morning we begin this uh, new study in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I'm going to be pointing out some important details as we go along concerning this Gospel, uh, such as who the author is, the date of the writing, the theme, theology, and then just a brief overview of the Gospel. The Gospel of Mark is the second of four, and it is the shortest, as I said uh, earlier, containing just 16 chapters. It is believed that the first, this, this was the first gospel written, in fact, the first book of the New Testament that was written, believed to have been, have, have been written in the 50s or at the very latest in the early 60s. And it is thought that this particular gospel was written in Rome. 
Now, there is evidence found in a papyrus written in about A.D. 140, quoting an earlier source that states that Mark was a close associate of Peter. And so this is commonly received, accepted by theologians, and um, we look to Mark as being that very person that is referred to in these writings. Again, going, pointing back to an even earlier source that confirms this. Uh, this papyrus also said that this writing was not a timeline of Jesus' life. As we know, as we go through it, it's not necessarily in chronological order, but it's actually uh, it's believed to be a result of Mark sitting under the teaching of the Apostle Peter, and so he received all of it. Can you imagine sitting under the teaching of someone like Peter or Paul? And then just with that teaching, paying such good attention and being led by the Spirit and used by the Spirit to write the gospel and accurate in the manner in which he did. Well, we know it was the Spirit, right? That used him as an instrument. But it would be quite amazing to be that instrument that is used. And that was Mark. Now, let's turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. In verse 34 is what we're going to. So Acts chapter 10, verse 34. This was uh, Peter. And he was, he was preaching. He was preaching in the household of Cornelius. He was a centurion. And, um, and Peter was sent to him. By the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 10 verse 34 says, So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Remember that Peter was a Jew. And, um, and so the Lord was teaching him that there's no partiality as it pertains to salvation. And whom the Lord desires uh, should be saved. He, said, he goes on to say in the verse 35, But in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the world that he, word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. And so we're going into that moment that John uh, the Baptist comes on scene, but this is just a small taste of what Mark sat under this, this preaching of Peter and how it was that Peter, as he preached, Mark was paying close attention and he received that which is true and that which is the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, the first mention of John Mark, uh, in, so we go by the Gospel of Mark, but uh, he is his full name, John Mark. And, uh, but his first mention is back in Acts chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. So we're going to just kind of flip around a little bit. That way we have a good understanding of, um, of the author and some of the things that surround this gospel. So uh, in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, it says, When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. So there you go, John Mark where many were gathered together and were praying. 
And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Now, just want to pause for a second there. I want to just, the reason why I'm reading this, number one, to know who John Mark was, his mother, and also um, the things that he experienced uh, with the other disciples. Um, this was a, a time when uh, Peter himself was imprisoned. And, uh, and he, was, he was rescued by the Spirit um, as um, he was released. And they were praying. So they were having this prayer meeting um, at, the, at, the, at the home of Mary, the mother of John, or John Mark. And so John Mark was there with his mother and the other disciples. They were all praying for Peter to be released. And... This, this servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, but in her excitement, she didn't even open the door. And so she reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And verse 15 says, they said to, to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So again, this is what John Mark had experienced firsthand. Praying for Peter to be released. Peter came. Rhoda was so excited she didn't initially open the door. They kept saying, no, it's not him. It's his angel. And finally, they realized that it was Peter indeed. This was the first mention of John Mark. Now, from there, we know that uh, Paul and Barnabas, and we need to mention them, had gone to Jerusalem, and upon returning to Antioch, John Mark joined them, assisting them on their first missionary trip. We see in the same chapter, in Acts chapter 12 and verse 25, the very last verse in this chapter, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. But in Acts chapter 13, verse 5 also, it says this about John Mark, and then we'll go from there. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So again, evidence and confirmation that John Mark did indeed join them and was with them on their first missionary trip, that is with Paul and Barnabas. But I'd like to have your attention turned to Acts chapter 13, verse 13 which says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, at this, very, at this moment, we see that John Mark decided to leave the group and to return to Jerusalem. Now, on the surface, we could just gloss over it and just know that at this moment, just basically John Mark decided to, to leave and go back home and uh, not continue with them. But this is a very significant moment that is especially to the Apostle Paul and in the missionary journeys that would continue uh, through the Apostle Paul and through Barnabas. Because Paul at this very moment was deeply disappointed 
with the departure of John Mark. In fact, he considered it to be desertion. Uh, He left his post. He uh, discontinued something that he was commissioned to do. And so for the Apostle Paul, he looked at John Mark and he thought he cannot be trusted. He cannot continue with this. And we know this to be true because when they were ready to go on their second missionary trip, that is the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, the Apostle Paul refused to take John Mark with him. Barnabas, uh, being John Mark's cousin, uh, wanted also to encourage the Apostle Paul to bring along John Mark. But Paul absolutely refused. And in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 41, it is where this event takes, takes place. It says in verse 36, And after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we learn from that that because of John Mark, there was a sharp contention between Paul and Barnabas. So they ended up going their separate ways. And Barnabas took his cousin, John Mark. And, uh, and they went uh, to Cyprus, and Paul took Silas and went through Syria and Cilicia. Now, both groups, though, we need to understand this. Both groups continued in the ministry. They didn't withdraw. They didn't quit. Uh, they, didn't, they weren't paralyzed uh, while they pouted over this whole situation. They just simply continued. That, by the way, and I just want to make a note, for us as followers of Jesus Christ is... As disciples of Jesus, we need to be strong in that sense to where regardless of what events take place between brothers, sometimes, you know, uh, we deal with, with brothers and sisters, you deal with sisters, uh, let that never, that, that difficulty perhaps in the moment, never, ever be used as justification for you withdrawing from the ministry. Because remember who we're serving Remember who it is that we are honoring with our whole lives, living as, as living sacrifices unto the Lord. They continued on. And what they're described as doing is continuing, uh, going in two separate directions, but strengthening the churches. That was their whole desire, strengthening the churches, as it says in Acts 15, 41. Now, From this point on, there is no further mention of either of them. That is, no further mention of Barnabas and no further mention of John Mark. And John Mark reappears, though, in one of Paul's letters, and that is to his letter to the Colossians. Uh, Turn with me to Colossians chapter 4, in verse 10. Now, this again is an encouragement because John Mark continued in ministry. He continued to serve the Lord. And these are the things as we grow in the Lord, as we continue serving the Lord, 
at some point, if we're obedient to Him, if we honor the Lord, these are the types of things that happen. Why? Because we want to honor, we want to glorify the Lord. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, by the love that you have one for another. And we realize that perhaps in a moment, we weren't right. But as we come back together, what happens is, is we may do this, go in two separate directions when we're in the flesh, when we've had maybe a sharp contention. But if we're in the Lord, if we're humble and we seek the Lord, what starts to begin to happen is this. And at some point, we should come together again. Oh, you know, how, how many times would Satan have no place between two people if they were to just humble themselves, ask for forgiveness, and be restored? Oh, what that would speak to the church itself, right? And that would actually be in line with what many pastors are teaching from the pulpit, right? In what we perhaps are proclaiming in our own homes. To humble ourselves. Because this is what happens. In Colossians chapter 4 verse 10 it says. Aristarchus my fellow prisoner greets you. And Mark the cousin of Barnabas. Concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you welcome him. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. Because this also implies. That the Apostle Paul and John Mark had spent time together. Their relationship had been restored. He saw him as a loyal companion, as a fellow servant in the Lord. And he commended him and he recommended him. He spoke on his behalf. He says, if he comes to you, welcome him. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes this also. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9. He writes to Timothy saying, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Again, just a further encouragement for us. It's... Quite interesting, though, how it is that the Apostle Paul refers to Demas in love with this present world as having deserted him. You see, the Apostle Paul, he knew what it was to perhaps have people around him that would, from time to time, desert him. You know, he, Demas is only one, pro, I, I, I would imagine, I can only, uh, I can assume, I think I can safely assume, that had deserted the Apostle Paul. Because if you spend time in ministry, you have people that will come and go for various reasons. But again, I point to John Mark. John Mark was one who was, he was there in, in, in the home where Peter 
uh, came to and, and he revealed himself, having been an answer to prayer, knowing the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was a man who was not perfect, but was a man who was devoted and committed to serving the Lord and, and following him and serving him. And although there was this sharp contention between Barnabas and Paul because John Mark, the Apostle Paul, felt like he deserted them when they needed him the most, well, he continued on. You could say he, he learned from the Apostle Paul in that way something very valuable. And that is stick to tenacity, persistence. That no matter what kind of difficulties come, no matter what circumstances he found himself in, he was ready to get back up and to continue to move forward. John Mark won the confidence of the Apostle Paul and had obviously gained his trust. Again, all of this is to help us understand who John Mark is and how he is associated with Jesus and his disciples. This letter, as we go back to the Gospel of Mark, is written to Gentiles, more specifically to the church that was in Rome, noting that Mark takes special care to explain, as we consider this, Jewish customs. If he was writing to the Jews, then of course he wouldn't take that much time to detail the Jewish customs, but he does. He translates Aramaic words and refers to persecution and martyrdom often, all being uh, very familiar to the Gentiles, especially there in Rome. Points to note along the line, as, uh, along the way, as we go through the Gospel of Mark, is that these items are, are emphasized, or these realities are emphasized, and that is the power of the cross. The cross is referred to, discipleship is referred to as far as growing in the Lord and learning how to follow him. Uh, and we, we see that emphasized through Jesus' teachings and especially emphasized through the humanity of Jesus as he can, he can relate to everything. As it says in Hebrews, he can relate to everything that we go through, and yet he was without spot, he was without blemish, he was perfect in, in all his ways, and yet so he was fully God and he was fully human. So it, it, we look at the humanity of Jesus, his servitude and suffering. And yet again, I want to say again, and yet he never rejected, he never neglected or turned away from his deity. The Gospel of Mark is known to emphasize Jesus as the suffering servant. It emphasizes the deeds of Jesus more than the words of Jesus, and that is that his, his actions... In fact, Jesus said that um, his food is to do the will of the Father. And so we know in, in James it says, Faith without works is dead. And therefore, if Jesus is our example, and we want to bless and honor him, that we ought to not only be a people of faith who proclaim that we believe, but also do. Because again, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, uh, Mark uses the word immediately more than 40 times throughout the whole gospel. And so 
we see how it is that he moves from, from one act to the next. And so we see Jesus as being the servant of the Father, doing his will perfectly, but he is busy doing the Father's will. And he even told his parents, you remember as he was at the temple and he had been left behind for a couple of days. And when, when, uh, uh, when Joseph and Mary came back, they found him in the temple and, and they were all just amazed at his teaching, at, at how much he knew. And, and uh, he, in, in uh, paraphrasing, he says, I, I'm here. Where else would I be? I'm here doing uh, the Father's will. And he did perfectly. All the way through his life. Now, as Christians, we must learn what it means to be disciplined followers of Jesus Christ and how to demonstrate that we love him through action. Again, I remind you of what Jesus said in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, says this. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So again, this, this gospel is teaching us also as we go through, emphasizing the deeds of Christ, and that is what we are to align ourselves with, is the deeds that we know are actually commandments by the Lord for us, that we would follow them out and simply because we love Him. We love because He first loved us. You know, I was, um, I was talking earlier in regards to the missionaries that are in Haiti, you know, we, we just went to Haiti a couple weeks ago. There was a group of us, and we went just, just for a week. That was it. But there are missionaries there that have been there for years. In fact, I learned of this, this uh, young man who is 96 years young, and he's been there since about 1971. I think I, I shared this with you uh, last week, I believe. And he's been there, and he's never seen it so bad. But he's still there. And I'm also following this page in regards to Haiti and, and just the things that are happening there. It's getting, it's getting worse. It's getting really bad. Not that they weren't bad before. And someone was praying for this missionary that was posting on there and said, you know, we're praying for your safety and that, uh, you know, God protect you and, and, uh, and so on and so forth, right? A, a common prayer that one would pray for those who are in that kind of an environment. And this lady, this dear sister in Christ, her response, I pray I never forget. And she said something like this, something to this effect. She said, I appreciate your prayers, but pray most of all that the gospel would be received, that the gangs would come to salvation, that people would turn, will turn to Christ. But as for my life, she said, I am willing to give it, for we are missionaries. 
And we are here to serve Christ and Christ alone. And I'm ready to give my life. So pray for my life, perhaps, but pray most of all that people would come to salvation because I am ready. I'm ready at any given moment to see Christ in all of his glory. And so I thought, wow, we have certain circumstances in our lives and we allow them to take us off course uh, to be resentful or bitter or angry at God for allowing such things to happen. Can you imagine being in the midst of something like this woman, these other missionaries in Haiti are experiencing and throughout our, our world? Nothing stops them. Nothing holds them back. They actually, they literally, listen, they literally go into danger just for a liter of fuel to start your generator to continue living in that place so that the gospel would continue to spread. What are your difficulties? <laughs> kind of puts things in perspective, right? No, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And as Christians, we must learn what it means to be disciplined followers of Jesus Christ. What continues as Jesus actually rebuked Peter for telling him, can you imagine he took him aside and, he, and Peter rebuked Jesus. Jesus was simply telling him what, what was going to happen. That's like when we when all we want is what like is comfortable and and what is like prosper me Lord and give me good health and all that that those aren't bad prayers by the way okay but if if that's what we desire and and we say what do we say when God blesses us with with something that we've been praying for like that we say God is so are we implying that he's not good when he allows us to go through tribulation and trouble and trials? Because do we say the same thing when we experience those things? And this is how Jesus responded to, to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Why is it that he referred to him like that? For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In verse 34, it says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so writes John Mark. And so it is the Word of God. The Gospel begins with the account of John the Baptist, his work of preparing the people for Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, and the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, these are the first 13 verses. We're going to cover the first eight. That, that's it. 
um, because we gave this intro also into the gospel and gave a hopefully a decent understanding of who John Mark is and how it is that the Lord prepared him even to be used in this manner and hopefully encouraged by his life in and of itself. Seeing God's faithfulness and John Mark acting not in his strength but in the power and the strength of the Lord. Let's begin with these first eight verses in the beginnings of Jesus' ministry which this we will focus on, Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist, his forerunner. We begin with the words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. We begin with these words and then Mark quotes Malachi as he goes on from introducing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He quotes Malachi 3.1 and then Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. Now we need to understand Malachi was written between 440 and 400 BC and Isaiah was written between 739 and 681 BC. And yet John was referring to himself as being the forerunner of the Messiah that was foretold by Malachi over 400 years earlier and foretold by Isaiah over 700 years earlier. But the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ goes back even further. Noting Ephesians chapter 1 verse, verses 3 through 5 and 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9. We can also refer to 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 19 through 21 and 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 7. Those are just a few that tells us that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the plan of salvation was established before the foundations of the world. You see God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is not restrained by time. He is outside of time, and yet He is within time that is with us. He knows the beginning and the end and everything in between. Well, Mark writes that this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what he's writing out, the good news of God's salvation by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by works, but by the completed works of Jesus Christ on the cross having shed His blood for the perfect and complete atonement or payment for our sins, past, present, and future. But for John the Baptist, his work was this. This was his assigned, he was commissioned for this very work that he was participating in in that very moment, preparing the way for Jesus Christ up to that point, Outside of Mary and Elizabeth coming together when, when John the Baptist was six months in, in the womb and he came in knowing that Mary was also with child. It says the, 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 the child, John, was uh, leapt in, in the womb. But other than that, he had, no, he had not seen Jesus, but he knew he was about to appear. And so John the Baptist's mother 
Elizabeth and Jesus' mother Mary were cousins, according to Luke chapter 1, verse 36. John was sent by God, and we see this here, as God's messenger, his son, to prepare the people for his appearance. And so he was sent by the Lord to do this very work. It said that he would be a man who's preaching in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord to make his path straight. But here's a very important question to ask. How? How is it that John the Baptist was preparing the way? How is it that he was preparing the hearts of the people to receive Jesus Christ? Well, he was baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it says in verse 4. But if you think about it, this, this guy, was he was, he was described as, as a man who was kind of odd. He wasn't uh, a man that you would, you would see, you know, as being commonly dressed like everyone else. He uh, actually wore camel's hair. Very very uncomfortable, with a leather belt. Uh, he ate locusts and wild honey. You see, he was a Nazarene from his birth, a man who had vowed to abstain from certain things. Now, he was devoted from birth. He was set aside by the Lord from, even before he was in his mother's womb. Imagine this. And yet, this man had to exercise his own will and choose to do that which he was set aside to do. You know, you and I, we have actually been called upon the Lord to serve him and to bring him glory. It's up to you and I to choose to do that which pleases the Lord or not. To fulfill his will or not. It's up to you and I. So as we see John the Baptist, he, he chose to serve the Lord as it was God's will. It had been 400 years since the, since the last prophet and the people were thinking that uh, since the last prophet had spoken. And so the people were thinking, perhaps God has nothing more to say. Perhaps this, that was it. But, of course, we know that God was not done. And John the Baptist comes on the scene. This act of baptism, by the way, is a is a full immersion. It's not a sprinkling of water. It's not a partial dunk. It's a full dunk. It is an overwhelming, the overwhelming of, of a person's complete body, meaning the whole person went under water. But baptism was not anything new in the Jewish community, but it was normally performed by Gentiles that were choosing to convert to Judaism. By their baptism, they were confessing that they were separate, separated from God as a Gentile and needed to get right with God. And therefore, were confessing the same God as the Jews, and they were baptized. Now, for believers today, it is an act of identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as we see in Romans chapter 6, verse 3. So for this to be done... By not only Gentiles, but also by the Jews, it was truly something remarkable. It was God bringing conviction upon the hearts of the people. As we know that they were coming out from, 
from the nation and they were coming around, coming to the, the Jordan from Jerusalem. And this was truly serving to prepare the hearts of the people for the appearing of the Messiah. But again, I emphasize that the way their hearts were being prepared for Jesus Christ was through their confession and repentance. The act of baptism was one thing. It was an outward expression of something that they had chosen, that they had surrendered to and come to confess. But what was more important was their individual and genuine confession and repentance. That is a turning from their sin. It was a personal act of humility, grief over their sin, a turning from their sin, and a reliance on God. This is what they this is what they confessed. This is what they declared and proclaimed. Notice that John was not telling people that they were sinners in need of confession and repentance. But rather, he was telling them that the Messiah was coming. And so confess and repent so that you may be ready when he does arrive on the scene. I ask you the question even now. Are you ready? Are you ready at any given moment? Could you say at this very moment that number one, you may be saved, but let's say you are saved and, and you've known the Lord as far as your salvific faith is concerned, but have, have not been walking with him. We wouldn't be ready, right? We wouldn't be found doing the will of the Father. We, we wouldn't be found just ready for his return, expecting his return. We need to continually say, Jesus is coming. And it could be at any given moment. It could be right now, right? It could be just like that. We'll be snatched up, the church. Or it could be. It could be that the Lord just calls you home. Everyone's alert for the most part. Everyone's eyes are, are fixed up here. I don't see anyone sleeping. But we do have a camera, by the way, that now picks up anyone who's sleeping. So just so you know, we'll put it up on the screen and that way the person next to you can nudge you. But everyone looks fine here, right? At least you're alive. But did you know that like the next moment is not promised to you? It's not promised to me. Are we ready for that moment? It may be that I don't even finish this message. Some of you are probably thinking, he may not ever finish this message. <laughs> but I, I may not get to the end, but I will be home in all of God's glory. We need to be ready for that. Listen, people know they're sinners. I knew when I came to the law, I knew I was a sinner. I did. My sin separates me from the Father. But it is not only knowledge of their condemnation that draws them to the Savior, but did you know it was His kindness that draws people unto the Lord? I remember hearing about His love and His grace and his sacrifice on my behalf. And I thought, how could God love me? Right? I had done so much, chosen to do so many things, and I thought, how, 
He doesn't even know my thoughts right now. And he does know my thoughts. He did know my thoughts. But even in that moment, I remember thinking all of those things. And yet it was the continual reminding. I I remember talking to my friend, uh, Mike Klukas, a a believer in the Lord, and, and he just kept telling me, you know, Jesus loves you. He demonstrated it. He went to the cross for you. He, he paid for your sins, all of them. Even now, he's not waiting for you to get cleaned up. He's, he's, he's desiring that at this very moment, you would simply turn to him, ask him for forgiveness, and know that in that very moment that you confess him as your Lord, that he, he has that shed blood, washes away all your sins. And when the Father sees you, he sees his righteousness, not, not yours. You can never achieve righteousness. Never, ever. And I thought, little by little, I'm telling you, little by little, the Lord's kindness and his love and his grace continue to chip away at me. To the point where I finally heard the invitation, when I finally heard today, right now, if, if you want to be saved, if, if you want to experience and know forgiveness of your sins, At this very moment, come and pray and receive the Lord. And it was in this little city just north of here. I don't know if any of you know the place. It's called Las Vegas. It was there where where I was saved. No one is too far. But it's his kindness that draws us unto the Lord. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John knew he was preparing the way for Messiah. And he knew that he wasn't even worthy of touching the very sandals that he wore. You see, in those days, it was common for the rabbis to expect the disciples or the followers or students to do everything for them except for one thing, and that is to touch their sandals. They thought that is too far beneath for them to do something like that. And yet, John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy of untying his sandals. But John said, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was saying in that moment, just wait, I'm baptizing you with just the water, this water here in the Jordan. Oh, but Messiah, he'll he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. A baptism that... You cannot be dried from, you know, this water. You can dry from this water, but the Holy Spirit is permanent. It will fill you. It will seal you for the day of redemption. He is the guarantee that is given for us to know with certainty that hope of being in the glory of the Father for all eternity. And it's that very Spirit that is the power that comes upon us that we would be effective witnesses and testify of the good news of Jesus Christ, according to Acts 1.8. See, John was a man like you and me. Mark was a man like you and me. Mark was used by John to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ through the writing of this gospel. John was used by God to prepare the people for the arrival of Messiah, Jesus our Lord. At this very moment, you are here to to be either one of two things, either be further prepared to serve Christ our Lord or are here to gain an understanding of the gift of salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ 
believing on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior for your personal, individual salvation by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ, believing on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The key to all of this and the whole point is for all of us to be ready for the arrival of Jesus Christ in our lives. And the key is humility. It's a surrender. You have no power to exert, nothing to do. It's a simply yielding of yourself completely to the Lord, believing that Jesus, not only did he live a perfect life, but he died on the cross, shedding his blood on our behalf. After three days, resurrected from the grave, And today, as he ascended after 40 days of appearing to the disciples and many, sits at the right hand of the Father and interceding on behalf of you and I. It's been done. To Telestite, as Jesus said, it has been paid in full. For us, it's a simple humbling of ourselves, a confessing of our sins, a surrendering of our hearts and turning to him. Why? Why would you do this? Because you desire to be ready for when you do see him. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? I pray that you are. 1 John 1, 9, for all who are his. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For all who have not believed, I pray that this day would be the day of salvation. The Lord says, and God's words tells us, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says also, none is righteous, no, not one. And the wages of sin is death. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you believe on Jesus Christ, perhaps this moment you realize His kindness, His grace, His hand, that inexpressible gift is extended to you, that today you would respond in saying, I surrender all, Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I desire that you would lead my life. You would teach me these things. Help me. Help me to demonstrate a love for you just in response to the grace that He has poured out upon you in forgiveness of your sins. Because in Romans 10.9, it says that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, as it says in Acts 4.12. So today, I pray that this very moment would be the day of salvation for you if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ. You will come to know a peace that surpasses all understanding. And come what may, you will have a hope that far exceeds and goes beyond any circumstances that you find yourself in. Why? Because you are his. And he has gained victory over the condemnation of sin in your life. And you know the hope of heaven. Father, I thank you, Lord, for, oh Lord, the free gift. The free gift of salvation. 
that is truly remarkable. Quite honestly, Lord, you know my heart. It is hard to to grasp, Lord, even seemingly impossible. And yet it is true, and, and I believe it to be true, and that is why I am even here. In sharing with others, Lord, the, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that others may know the very same thing that I've come to know. I've seen and I've tasted how good you are. I have come to know your grace, salvation, Lord, and by it, Lord, I am ready to go home to you. But I pray that more are ready. That if there's anyone here who has backslidden, that has been lukewarm even, that today would be a day of recommitment this very morning. Lord, that we would confess those things and ask, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us, Lord, to walk uprightly before you. And I also pray for anyone here who has not completely surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, that this day would be the day of salvation, that they would look back upon it and know that this was the day that they received a new heart, a new hope. Salvation has visited them and they have received having opened that door and allowed Jesus Christ to come into their own hearts. Lord, I pray that there would be humility. There would be a confession of sin. And Lord, they would turn to you through Jesus Christ. And so with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I ask if there's anyone here who either is recommitting their lives to the Lord or is coming to the Lord for the first time, please raise your hand. An outward expression, a public confession, even if it's just before me, that I may be able to pray for you and acknowledge you before the Lord as you are as well. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Just even a recommitment. God bless you. Father, you saw these hands. I pray, Lord, that at this very moment there would be that, uh, that sigh of relief. <laughs> Lord, I remember knowing that a great burden had been lifted off of me that I didn't realize I was carrying. I pray, Lord, that these would know that same relief Lord, uh, for you desire that we cast all our cares upon you, for you care for us. So, Lord, I just ask that you would give us, Lord, uh, a renewed joy in Jesus Christ, Father, that 
whether it be a recommitment or a first-time surrender, Father, that uh, we would come alongside our brothers and sisters and encourage them in their walk with you. And Lord, that, uh, that you would teach them all things as they participate in the fellowship of the saints here, that you would be blessed, Father. We thank you for this moment and for the good news of Jesus Christ through the gospel of Mark that we just begun today. Thank you, Father, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.